Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with my co-host today, Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. And today we're going to talk about the issue of crows. We have crows flooding into downtown Bloomington. I know Terre Haute has had a similar issue, and we have some experts here in the studio and on the phone who are going to talk to us about what might happen next and what might be done about the issue of crows in downtown. Our guests are Professor Mark Lame of uh, um, Indiana University. He's a clinical professor at the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Angie Purdy is the Commissioner's Administrator with the Monroe County Commissioner's Office. And Ann Clark is joining us by phone. She's a behavioral ecologist at Binghamton University in New York. You can also join us on the program by giving us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 if you're in Terre Haute or any other community outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So uh, welcome to all of you. Thanks, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. So I want to ask Ann first. So Ann, you you uh, are familiar with this issue. You've you've heard heard and I'm sure studied it from around various other communities. I mean, how common is it for crows to come into a town and sort of take over? Well, it's been increasingly common that they actually move into town. Roosting um, in large groups in the winter is as old as crows, as far as we can tell. Um, so the main change is that they actually come into towns. Sometimes they come into towns where they historically roosted and the town grew up and they moved out and then they came back. So it's common. I see. Okay. What are some and of those? There's maybe some reasons. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's what we're trying to get mm-hmm. to today is what are those reasons uh, and why the downtown areas? Well, Let's just quickly say that why do crows roost together at all in the winter? And um, I think the important thing to realize is that uh, my, uh, American crows are migra- partially migratory. So farther northern birds up in Canada and north are coming down into areas where the snow cover's not that deep. So first of all, they're nowhere near their home territories. Secondly, uh, they're big problem in the winter is is probably predation at night from things like great horned owls and one idea is that by roosting together in large numbers they're keeping that predatory risk down mm-hmm. per per individual so moving into cities may actually provide them with a number of things but it may reduce that predatory risk because if they're near lights they can see a root an owl coming mm-hmm. And so crows are like many birds, uh, passerine birds, they can't see well at night. Hmm. If an owl attacks you, you could run into a branch. I mean, you know, you could, it's not just the owl. Uh, so if you're, what people usually notice in cities is that they move where it's partially lit. Mm-hmm. And um, in that they can come out of the trees, fly up around and return to the trees safely. So that's one big idea that uh, crows may be moving in because of that. Mm-hmm. So, Angie Purdy, you, <laughs> we work right downtown, and, you know, the crows uh, have been an issue now for about a year. Well, more than that, but in the last year or so, they've taken on a pretty, uh, a little bit higher visibility, I think. So what kind of issues is it causing <laughs> for you and other people who are working downtown? Well, I think that um, the waste has been the biggest issue for those of us who are downtown and the impression it gives to anybody who's visiting our beautiful city. Um I have to say that right now, this year, we're a little bit better off than we were last year. Um, but last year, the crow excrement feces was everywhere. And um, it was cold enough that you couldn't h- clean off the sidewalks or anything of that nature. So um, it was uh, raising the potential for health concerns. And it was just, in general, 
um, making our downtown not as something that people want to embrace as they had in the past. Mm -hmm. And we have probably invited them, given what Ann just said about lights, because we have a beautiful canopy of lights mm -hmm. from our courthouse. Right. So have the commissioners, what, what are the commissioners <laughs> saying about it? Is there anything that county government can do to try to, uh, try to mitigate this issue? Well, actually, um, CFC, uh, Cook Group, actually pulled uh, some government people together. Uh, Commissioner Keesling and I attended, as well as a representative from the city of Bloomington and then also from downtown Bloomington, Inc., uh, Talisha Kopik. And um, we were actually looking into entering into a contract. Oh, and uh, Mark was there also. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking into a contract with, I believe it's the USDE. USDA? Yeah, USDA, APHIS, right. their uh, uh, yes. wildlife service. Yeah, um, and they'll do a count for us and kind of help us to find out where they start, where they'd like to be, and so that hopefully we can avert their, um, their, their coming into town and keep them out more in the rural area that would be more acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so, Mark, what, what are some of the things that you think should be done or can be done? Well, you know, this is this is kind of what happens when species uh, are trying to occupy the same space and <laughs> not wanting to deal with the uh, the byproducts of either species. And uh, so, uh, what we need to do is, is deal with this, uh, whether it's bed bugs or or anything else. We need to deal with it as a community. So the uh, the uh, the city, county, university, um, the private sector. Uh, all are, are are concerned about this and, and in different stages of working on it. Uh, so that that needs to happen first. Try to understand what's going on. And Anne is uh, right. I mean, a lot of what I know about crows, I I learned from reading about Auburn, New York, mm -hmm. and uh, they have some tremendous data and information on that over over time. So I I think that uh, we need to deal with it. The Kind of the way that it's it's working out right now, from a scientific viewpoint, is that the uh, wildlife service wants to get some, a lot of baseline data, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's really important. So they can figure out, you know, where they're coming from, when they're coming in, uh, how they're moving around, and then that way the, they can better figure out how to move them out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's uh, that's a big part of it. And uh, at the same time, though, I mean, uh, the, the fact is, is that whether it's here on campus or, or whether it's in the downtown area, nobody wants to deal with the uh, the crow poop. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so <laughs> uh, concurrent activities can take place, you know, cleanup, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, just to kind of set the scene, I don't know how many people have actually experienced it, but if you've seen <laughs> the movie, it literally is like the movie. And at times when you're walking, I just walk home uh, from my, just in my car, and uh, even on campus, you think it's raining. Yeah. And it's not. It's the crows. <laughs> um, and you've, I've read where this has been going on since, geez, where did I read that? The 1960s. What other, I mean, what are other communities or what kind of data is out there that other that you can use, that communities can use to try and uh, help this uh, issue? One of the things that uh, here in Indiana, and I'm sure Ann can tell you lots about New York, but here in Indiana, uh, both Terre Haute, as Bob mentioned, but also Indianapolis has been putting up with this for a while. And Indianapolis has uh, been dealing with this uh, uh, in a reasonably successful way in the past few years, and that's with the help of the USDA uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service. And uh, Jim Murphy from CFC, you know, did his research and looked at this stuff and, and kind of brought us all together to, to see if we can do what Indianapolis is doing. And it's, uh, you know, I'm a pest management guy, whether it's roaches, crows, or bed bugs. And mm -hmm. so it's uh, usually pest management is a people management thing. Mm -hmm. And so we need to uh, uh, look at a number of an integrated approach, uh, no surprise there, and not overuse any one approach that, uh, you know, crows are smart. If, mm -hmm. They'll get used to things. So we have to, to 
kind of be one step ahead if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and part of it is knowing what the reasons are. And I mean, I, I've heard a lot of different things. Like they're also attracted. And we talked about the light, but the warmth of the buildings of downtown too. But then that's not something you can really deal with. I mean, if you can't not that's get a fixed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then you come up with other ideas. And Terre Haute for years have been doing fireworks right. and, and lasers. What what? And anyone can just kind of jump in here. But what 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 are some of those? Uh, I guess solutions. And are they long term or short term? Well, I'll defer to Ann first. I'm I'm interested to, to hear what she has to say, and then I'll tell you what I okay. know that we're going to try to do here. Okay. Ann. Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, I think that the um, hypothesis on warmth is is actually fairly poorly supported. Um, there may be some wind shielding, but you know when you're starting to think about these things, remember that the crows are not going to disappear. There's you know if you've got if you've got fifty or sixty thousand birds in Bloomington, you've got fifty sixty thousand birds that are foraging within twenty five miles of a circumference of Bloomington. And they have to go somewhere at night. Mm-hmm. So the first decision, which I think everybody will, uh, certainly the USDA and the Fish and Wildlife will agree with, you have to pretty much decide, if you move them, where would you like them to go? Mm-hmm. What's your sort of hierarchy on where you don't want them to be? Um, and so it's important to think about, are there places that you could uh, not bother them in if they start moving there? Um, crows are, are long-lived and smart, and I don't think that you can call this um, any one year a long-term solution. So if you get a response over one or two years of, of disruption and then don't do it for four years, um, they'll be back. Mm-hmm. And so right now, they won't necessarily be back in the exact same place, but I think it's always... Uh, wise to realize that you're not going to evaporate the crows. <laughs> well, I think that a couple points come up with that. I mean, one is that, you know, Bloomington is, I think, known as a very humane community, so I don't think anybody wants, uh, you know, a solution that is going to be too bad for the crows. Maybe some people do, but... Um, <laughs> oh, yes, but, there are oh, certain yeah, right. people I'm, too. Sure, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they do, but but believe me, we've been through a long, long discussion about deer in Monroe County, and yes. if we had a discussion about deer, it would be it would be very divisive. <laughs> very, yes, uh, let's about, not go there. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, that's got to be part of the solution to figure out how, you know, not to kill a bunch of crows. And then the, the second thing is if you move them, you mentioned deciding where you want them to go. I could see how if you move them out of downtown, it could create a huge problem for a neighborhood or for the campus or for some area. You know, how do you, how do you decide how do you get them to a particular place? Mark? Well, uh, and this goes back to this question about, so what are our tools? And uh, I know in Auburn, New York, I, I talked with the, uh, the head of facilities there, uh, head of the park system, et cetera, and uh, kind of the way they did it was uh, scientifically they figured out how they were moving when they were coming in, this kind of thing. And then they, they picked out, like Ann said, an area that, uh, where they could live with them. And uh, there in, in Auburn, it's down by the river. It's a kind of an old abandoned uh, industrial area that has a lot of trees. And, and they've been able to kind of move them down there. But it takes, like Ann said, this is a problem that's not going to go away. You know, uh, Western civilization likes a, uh, the quick fix. And there's no magic bullet on this. And so it is going to have to be year after year. Uh, hopefully we can get to a, 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 a maintenance stage that's, uh, that's a little easier. But... We can move them down there. The way they do that um, is by uh, integrating uh, things like pyrotechnics, the fireworks, lasers, noise, distress bird uh, sounds. Um, and uh, so those are the typical things, the things that we, you know, would be interesting to try as well, but are more difficult uh, are light management um, as far as, uh, you know, our, our downtown or the campus, which with, which both need lights for security, and then of course there's the uh, the uh, cultural thing. But uh, uh, the one thing I do want to mention is is that 
people uh, tend to, um, for both political reasons but also for economic reasons, go for the easiest solution first. And that's what I see is, is, is having this distressed bird sounds because that lets everyone know that you're doing something <laughs> on the one hand. Um, and it's not that expensive. On the other hand, uh, just like with pesticides, uh, crows will become resistant to certain fear tactics. And that's one that they've already shown that they can be very quickly resistant to. <laughs> All right. Our phone numbers, again, are 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We're talking about uh, the issue of crows uh, that have flown into downtown Bloomington now and, and on the campus. Terre Haute has had this issue, so we'd like to hear from folks in Terre Haute as well or any place else that has had experience with this. Um, so, you know, I, I, I say this often, but I always get to ask the dumb questions because that's what I get to do. I'm the host. <laughs> um, so it seems like, I mean, Bloomington, I know you talk, talked about the reasons why they like, you know, the light and, and all this, but, wow, Bloomington is surrounded by forested, wooded areas, right. there, there's Lake Monroe, uh, there are all sorts of state parks, state forests. It seems like a habitat such as that would be attractive to birds or crows. So what, Angie, the, the, <laughs> the reason, uh, does it go back again to the Predatory. predators? Yeah. That's the only thing I could think of. Mm -hmm. um, I like crows. Um, <laughs> I, that was not necessarily something I wanted to say very loudly last year when they were so bad. Um, and I noticed that on occasion they will come out to my property. I, I have a small 10-acre farm, and I enjoy seeing them there. Um, but I always wonder why they don't stay in my particular area. Um, but I would say that it probably is due to for safety issues. Mm -hmm. It's much safer for them downtown than it is out where I live. Mm -hmm. And Angie, I can yeah. say that from following marked birds, which we've been doing, your crows may actually be in your backyard still. Oh. So we have, uh, when we were studying, we've been studying roosts for some time, and we have a, a, a roost study going on right now, and crowroost.org will take your crow roost information. Um, but we're looking at it from a number of points of view right now, which is not just crows, but also what happens to that nitrogen that they're putting on your sidewalks. Um, but the other thing is that we have radioed birds, and birds in the same town where there's a huge crow roost mm -hmm. will not necessarily join that crow roost. In fact, uh -huh. we've had a 2,000-bird crow roost across the street from a family that we knew, and they were all in their pine trees yelling at the birds <laughs> came in the crow roost. And as my colleague Kevin McGowan said, you know, when 2,000 people invite themselves to your house for a party, yes. there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> that is a fact. Right. So then is, is this a, a cycle that the crows go through? It, do, do they follow seasons or? Uh, oh, yes. This yeah. is a winter migration. Mm -hmm. Okay. These are not okay. your crows. Yeah. Oh. And an interesting, I mean, there's an interesting ethical issue when people go out and hunt them is that many times you're hunting Canadian crows with whom we're not supposed to be you mm. know, doing that sort of thing. Not to yeah, mention that we have a, you know, even our, mm -hmm. our Migratory Bird Act in the United States prohibits right. uh, shooting crows. So mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, yeah. there's also a season on them. Right. Right. There is. But, you know, we, we pretty much know that uh, they're going to be here in this community uh, on one block or the other mm -hmm. uh, for, the, for the next four months. Mm -hmm. And then they will go back, uh, migrate to where they want to go to. And I think that's a very good point, um, is that these are not staying. These birds are here for a set, set period of time, and then they leave. So although last year it was horrible, and uh, Mark is correct. Everybody wanted to know what was our quick fix. What are we going to do? That was the call I got on a daily basis. What are you doing <laughs> about <laughs> <Right>. these crows? <laughs> and um, it's like I'm trying, but um, they had already established the roost, and there was not. We were not able to move them at that point in time. Mm -hmm. um, but then they left. I think it was about April that they left, mm -hmm. and probably March. March was it March? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, they go, they've, in the last 
three years. They've moved back and forth from campus to downtown, and it seems like they're more on campus right now. And uh, I suspect that's where they'll be, although I I really hesitate to predict that, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Well, it's kind of interesting about the, the <clears throat> responsibility for it. As Angie said, people coming into her office and into the <laughs> county commissioner's office saying, hey, what are you going to do about this? Because, of course, they're gathered around the county courthouse, but it's in the city of Bloomington. The city of Bloomington has jurisdiction of, about the downtown area. And then who really has, I mean, who can do what about the Crows? So as, as you guys have alluded to before, Jim Murphy's the one who kind of took it upon himself to say, hey, we own a lot of property, CFC, in downtown. We're really proud of our downtown. We need yeah. to get together and do something about it. So it does take kind of a community to get together and, and act on this. Most definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. not one of us can can handle this by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I see the movement of the birds kind of like a dropping a stone in, in water and the ripples that come out. And you just have to find out how far out you want to establish a safe place for them. Um, that is that is safe for, I guess, humans as well as the birds. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a phone call, or we have we had a phone call, but now Valerie's off the phone. But she asked a question. Uh, Valerie's from Owen County and a frequent caller to the show. She said, "What do the crows eat?" So, Anne, do you want to <laughs> take that? Well, they they eat a lot of different things, and a little bit in the winter depends on how frozen the ground is. Uh, they. Their best diet, they're, they're scavengers. They'll eat dead animals on the roads, as everybody knows. But they are also big foragers on insects, insect grubs, beetles, anything they can find in the ground. They'll sometimes kill voles or shrews if they find them, but they're not very specialized at that. So um, if the ground is frozen or there's lots of snow, they're heading up for landfills, your compost pile, uh, any sort of source of... Um, food-ish type items, mm-hmm. um, and then they're flying good distances. And that's the other thing is that these crows may be foraging 25, 30 miles out of town. So they would they would maybe fly out for dinner and fly back <laughs> for the evening? Correct. Oh, Correct. Okay. Yeah. So you can't, not much you can do about the food supply that would help drive them out of the downtown area. Right. Well, no, I'm, although there are some landfills uh, that have associated roosts. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a short break. We're about halfway through, and we've got a lot more we can talk about with our three guests today, uh, Professor Mark Lame, Angie Purdy from the Monroe County Commissioner's Office, and Ann Clark from uh, Binghamton University. Uh, you can give us a call to talk about crows, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. And you can join the live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition, if you don't want to go on the air. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to a noon edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about the issue of crows in downtown Bloomington and actually previously in downtown Terre Haute and on the Indiana University campus and probably in, in Columbus and who knows where all over the state of Indiana. We have three guests with us, two in the studio, Professor Mark Lame, a clinical professor at the School of Public and Environmental Affairs at IU and Angie Purdy, the commissioner's administrator with the Monroe County Commissioner's Office, joining us uh, also uh, 
from uh, a remote location, Binghamton University in New York, Ann Clark, a behavioral ecologist. If you want to join the program, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington area, you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. You know, we touched upon this earlier about how smart the birds are, um, giving a new definition to being a bird brain, I guess. Uh, how smart are they? What what are they capable of doing? Go for it, Ann. Well, crows, uh, uh, crows are pretty much hitting the uh, airwaves as the uh, kind of a chimpanzee equivalent in the, in the avian world. And so we have crows on uh, some species on island, an island, um, the uh, New Caledonian crow that's a tool maker, and they mm -hmm. make tools and have tool cultures. Mm -hmm. um, we have other crows that are um, being worked on um, species which <coughs> don't do much with that in the wild, which have demonstrated lots of understanding of how to, like dropping stones to raise water levels to bring food within reach. Uh, there's many things that they do that uh, rival the kinds of things that primates like chimpanzees or capuchin monkeys do. Wow. They're smart. Mm. <laughs> Angie, no wonder you like crows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have, uh, we have some phone calls coming in, so uh, let's see if we can get to our first one. Uh, can we get to Art, who's uh, from Bartholomew County? There we go, Art, you there? Yes, hi, yeah, I'm here. hi. I have a couple of comments. Okay. Uh, the first one, uh, a little while ago, one of your uh, people there mentioned the possibility that the crows like the buildings for warmth, and that was sort of shot down. But my response as an environmentalist to that is if the outside of the building is too warm, it's because the building's not insulated. So how about tightening up the insulation? <laughs> there you go. And uh, making it less attractive to crows that way. Well, and My other one, though, you have discussed predation. There are predators out in the National Forest and elsewhere, and maybe that's pushing some of the crows into the city. There are other cities, including some very big ones, that have established colonies or nesting groups of peregrine falcons, mm -hmm. primarily to suppress pigeon populations. Uh, and in some cases, Baltimore has done this. They, they have uh, quite a few of them in some of their tall buildings downtown, and they've even set up webcams focused on the falcons' nests, so those who are interested can tune in and watch the falcons for a while. If uh, Bloomington wanted to try that and establish some peregrine falcons, I don't know if those are big enough to attack the crows, but maybe they would uh, change the crows' calculations a little bit and drive them back into the forest. Mark? Well, I, uh, I like that idea in general. I like to have uh, avian predators out there, uh, particularly for the uh, rodent pests that we have. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and, it would, and it would work well for that. Uh, what we need uh, in this case uh, is we would need to have a nocturnal predator, and the uh, falcons are, are not nocturnal. Mm -hmm. So... We would have to go to owls, and uh, they're, they're, I'm not quite sure if owls have been colonized that way. We do use owls as predators in, in other pest management situations, um, usually not the great horned owl, but uh, we, we use them for gopher control, et cetera. Hmm. Hmm. How about the uh, dawn and twilight periods? Would the falcons and the crows overlap enough to deter the crows then? I don't know. Anne, what do you think? Um, I don't think it would deter them. There's peregrines in Binghamton. There's peregrines now uh, around Ithaca, where I work, and I mm -hmm. watch peregrines where crows are foraging in the daytime. Crows are pretty good at watching out for peregrines. They certainly are alert. Peregrines could certainly kill a crow, no problem, mm -hmm. but um, they don't really like to connect with lots of birds around them. Uh, mm -hmm. That's one reason to be in a flock, because if you're trying to keep yourself uh, moving and you're, a, and you're something like a peregrine or another hawk that's diving, you don't want to connect accidentally with another bird. Okay, that um, makes sense. Mm -hmm. well, let me ask a question about, about predators of this nature. So if, uh, if there were a bunch of peregrine falcons downtown and they were attacking crows, would they grab them and carry them away someplace <coughs> or would we have crow carcasses in downtown? I don't think they would go after your crows. Okay. They'd go after pigeons, and the answer is yes, you will have pigeon carcasses downtown. Mm. 
That's an <laughs> unintended consequence. <laughs> right. <laughs> But only for a short time. <laughs> <laughs> right, although sometimes the parts are below. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks our, for your call. There are also our, plastic uh, hawks and owls, and uh, if you move them around, they're effective for a, a while to some extent. Not very long. Um, no. We experienced that last year we have um, some lovely plastic horned owls in and around the courthouse um, trees, and there would be crows sitting right beside them. <laughs> so. But did you move them? Did you move oh, yeah, them they around? moved them around. They, um, we tried all different placements of them, and uh, no, they, they, they didn't ca cause them that. too much concern. Yeah. Well, okay. All right, Art. Oh, thank you. Hey, thank thank, you. thanks a lot for the call. Sure. 812-855-0811, 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition and follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. What about drones <laughs> that look like 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 horned owls or something? That's an interesting thought. It, you know, there's always, uh, you know, as a scientist, there's there always and there should always be research being done on this stuff. And and no doubt there will be new technologies, possibly drones that that might have some effectiveness mm -hmm. on this. And that's um, you know the the scientists from USDA uh, are coming in with that approach, uh, the idea of learning as much as they can and applying the, the best available technology to that. I think, though, um, one of the questions that we need to ask and answer is, so what can we do while we're studying <laughs> the crows? Because the crows are going to be here um, in whatever part of the community, and they're going to poop all over everything. And uh, other than learning how to wash your umbrella, um, you know, what are we going to do? And I, and I do think that there's things that we can do concurrently as we're studying them. Yeah, I, when I was talking with Mayor Bennett in Terre Haute, he estimated or they estimated there are 90,000 crows um, that they had to train to, to roost in a nearby park down by the river, which they were able to do so. Does that, does that number sound about right for, the, for this area? Or, or, or has there been any study on the number and then maybe even for Anne, is that does ninety thousand is is that something that that sounds typical? It just sounds like um, an awful lot. <laughs> it, it does sound like a lot, but um, let me just describe how closely crows can be. If you take a sort of average-sized deciduous tree like a nice maple, mm -hmm. it can hold four hundred crows at night. Hmm. So it doesn't take all that many trees to hold that many crows. Um, the peak Auburn and Auburn's a tiny town was about sixty-five thousand. And they're at 22,000 or so right now. Uh, last year, they were closer into the 40s. So that's much smaller than Terre Haute. Mm -hmm. um, so 90,000 seems reasonable for a decent-sized city. Mm -hmm. How long, uh, Joe, how long did it take mm -hmm. to train them to do that? Do you remember what uh, Mayor Bennett said? You know, I'm, years. And his main advice when I started talking to him about and then bringing it back to Mayor Cruzan here in Bloomington was you got to do it early. You, you got to start right away. Right. And I think they started in October and right. went through March. They were out there every night shooting off fireworks. Yeah, they actually had, because I, I talked you, you to may, them yeah. um, last year, and they had volunteered citizens who were um, shooting off bottle rockets. Actually. The Crow Patrol, yes, yes, as it was called. Patrol, yes. yeah. <laughs> and um, it did take them a very long time to move their crows. And what I have read as part of my experience with the crows is that, yes, you want to start when they start to come in, um, but you also want to start in the mornings and like at dusk and, and dawn, um, because that's when they're going to be establishing their, those roosts. So if you can kind of make that spot not so comfortable for them at that point, then hopefully they'll go find another place to roost. So that comes, kind of comes back to the, the ripple effect that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it worked, but this year our, my, our maintenance crew was out at um, dawn and dusk with some homemade clappers um, that they were banging around the courthouse um, uh, in October when they first started to actually appear. And I've had business owners on the square say they were there and the crows did not like them. They left. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that helped move them to the university or not. <laughs> and I want to ask about Auburn a little bit more because you said it's a tiny town and it, it's now it has this claim to fame as a center of 
the Crow universe, or at least it was in in upstate uh, in New York. So, right. um, are there other smaller communities that have had similar experiences in New York, or or was it just Auburn that sort well, of got this I distinction? Can, again, remember that we've got a body of crows moving down from the north, mm-hmm. and they don't know anything about our towns per se, as you know. So Auburn had had a large population of crows. It's a well-described roost. It's described as uh, going back into probably around 1900. It was well-established, although near the city, just outside it at the time. Um, And then when it was disturbed and successfully, after several years, successfully disturbed and reduced by the the, uh, USDA and um, wildlife uh, specialists, by the lasers and disruption, um, then roosts suddenly sort of erupted in places like Cortland, which is a very small city around um, one of the SUNY schools. Um, We, our area, our roosts in Ithaca went from about, you know, a couple thousand to 5,000 or more. So basically when you disturbed the roost in Auburn and reduced it, the other surrounding cities saw those birds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, you're not going to have, uh, you're not going to be without effects on the surrounding area. Okay. Mark? I think one of the things that uh, um, I learned, um, and, it, and it made perfect sense from the uh, parks uh, director in uh, uh, Auburn, New York, uh, when I spent some time, several weeks, a number of times discussing this with him, is that number one? He's grown to like the crows. He feels that their uh, um, their flocks, their murmurations, you know, when they're all flying around, is an awesome natural phenomenon. That's really pretty cool to observe. And I agree with him on that. And then uh, uh, he also says that uh, you know humans have to learn how to live with them. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have to learn how to. You don't have to tolerate. You know, living with the mess, but, you know, we are going to have to learn how to live with them to some extent, share something here or there. And, uh, you know, they've been doing it a long time, and and those were his words of wisdom. Mm -hmm. All right. We have about 15 minutes to go in the program today. If you want to talk with us about crows, give us a call, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. Outside of the local calling area, you can also join the live chat. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is where to go for the live chat. You can even follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And we haven't touched upon any health risks as well with with the crows. Um, is that a serious issue that uh, needs to be talked about, or, or has there been any studies on that either? I'm not. I'm not. Pre- I don't have the background to be able to speak on that. I don't know if Mark does. Well, with the uh, bird poop, uh, you know, you, you do have a danger of histoplasmosis, uh, which is a, a lung disease um, that can happen. You know, one would think that with all of the, the feces that were on the sidewalks and then, of course, people track them into the restaurants and they're, mm-hmm. they're eating there and that kind of stuff, that you would have some kind of gastrointestinal problem, but we don't. And I personally think that's a coevolution of humans and birds to where we we pretty much can tolerate that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's also yeah. fair to say that the kinds of um, typically, and this goes for even the very very many variants of avian flu. Typically, it's a hard jump for a disease to go from a bird with a high body temperature to a mammal hmm. or especially a human with a lower body temperature. We don't expect a lot of that. Now, that's, of course, not entirely true with the av- some variants of the avian flu. Um, but we have not had any crows with avian flu of these variants. And I'm just curious, what is a crow's body temperature? Um, it's well over 100. Okay. It's, you know, more like 102. So, uh, you know, my bailiwick is uh, vector-borne disease because I'm an entomologist. And, and one of the lucky things that we have going on here is that... Uh, the crows are here, and the crows are, are part of the West Nile virus cycle. Um, but because it's the winter time, and we don't have mosquitoes, that's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from a health perspective, you know, you want to 
look at all of these different factors and figure out if it's, if it's going to work or if it's not going to work. And we're, mm-hmm. we're lucky in that sense. But, but Mark, um, we should just quickly say that crows are a part of the cycle in the same way that people are part of the cycle. They come in late in the West Nile cycle. They're probably not involved in the amplification of that virus at all in any given year. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I, I would assume going along with what you're saying, that the, the West Nile virus, if that were, let's just say, were to become an issue, that would, that would be among the birds themselves, not so much through with people. Correct. And, and uh, we would be worrying if we were worrying about the virus, we should worry about things like robins and cardinals. Those are the birds in which the virus is typically amplified uh, bird, to, bird to mosquito, bird to mosquito. Okay. Now, maybe I, have, maybe I uh, am remembering this incorrectly, but it seems to me that some communities have had problems with pigeons and too many pigeons being around, too. I mean, what's, is, there, is, is that true? And are there, you know, what, what would attract, you know, that type of bird compared to crows? Is, is there a difference, Anne? Mm, big t- difference. Yeah. They love to nest mm-hmm. on, our, on the kinds of building ledges that we provide. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those, are, those become problems in some cities, some communities? I mean, our so, pigeons are basically human-adapted birds. Yeah, They're what we call urban exploiters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, I agree with those differences. You know, interesting thing about uh, bird management is, is, again, just people management and, and humans uh, basically uh, developing architecture that are, is conducive for uh, nesting. And so that's the problem with pigeons and then, of course, the... The foraging, the you know, is, uh, they they uh, tend to to like what humans are putting down, and humans actually, you know, of course, uh, like putting stuff down for them. So that's that's something that's perpetuated itself. Now that said, the management is is uh, a lot different because, to be blunt, we can kill pigeons. Uh, they are uh, they're not con- they're not a protected species, and so we can kill those uh, mm-hmm. those animals. So crows are protected. Yes, they mm-hmm. are. Okay. Because they're a migratory bird, is that the reason? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about costs too with this. I know now I I didn't write down the date, but at one point uh, Mayor Bennett and Terre Haute said they were spending fifteen thousand um, dollars. I don't. I would assume that's a year on trying to keep the uh, crows away. Has there been any talk in Monroe County or Bloomington in terms of cost and how much uh, the city or county and, and who, I guess, number one, would pay for it and what the budget would be to for the prevention of crows? Well, that's um, an excellent question. That's actually what uh, Mr. Murphy was bringing to the, the county and the city and the downtown Bloomington and the university. And part of the study that we're doing um, or the, that he's actually brought to the table um, is asking that each of those entities be willing to put in up to $5,000 um, to do a, um, a, a have a, um, an actual, it's a wildlife specialist for six months um, that would come in and do these uh, surveys and things for us and come up with ways to mitigate the, the, the problems. So at this point, the county is looking at up to $5,000 as would those other entities um, to come up with a plan. And then I can't really speak to what we would do after that plan is. That's a preliminary study. Um, and that actually, you know, that's baseline stuff. That's not putting on the, the attack. Um, um, actually, Indianapolis has been doing this for, for a number of years. The costs are considerably higher. Um, and it's based on a geographic area, not necessarily the population of the city. Uh, so it, it can be fairly expensive. That said, uh, as it is, uh, you know, at that point, the, uh, you know, the different entities, the businesses, individual businesses downtown would, would be assessed, uh, you know, part of that thing. At least that's the way it's done up in Indianapolis. So. Um, I, and again, this is something that is not going to go away and we're not going to move them one year and be able to stop the next year or anything like that. This is going to just be an ongoing problem and cost. Um, so, uh, again, uh, that's just to get rid of the crows or to move them. Um, the cost of cleanup 
is, is something that we need to deal with, in, in my opinion, right now. I know that the university is, uh, is going to some, um, you know, good efforts to, to, to clean up after the crows to, you know, for safety reasons, uh, so students don't slip, et cetera, and um, that they are using a, a, a bit of a, of a budget to just clean up. So this has nothing to do with getting rid of the crows. It has actually just cleaning up. And I think that there probably needs to be a community-wide strategic plan that goes in that direction at the same time as dealing with the crows. And Mark, this goes sort of to your point about how we have to kind of learn to live with the crows. Right. 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 Yes. Okay, so uh, if you have a question or a comment as we are getting toward the end of the show, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, and you can join live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition if you don't want to go on the air. Um, I want to ask Ann for uh, some sort of parting advice. I mean, you've seen this issue. You're a, a behavioral ecologist. You know, what kind of advice or thoughts would you have for the folks here in Bloomington and Monroe County about how to, to uh, sort of live with the crows or move the crows? You know, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? Well, I think one quick thing is a human, uh, a human issue, which is uh, not to forget that you need to prepare people for what it's like to live with firecrackers and lasers and things going outside your house uh, every evening for a while. Um, there was bad feedback on that in some cases. Uh, the other is that um, I think that crows, if, if you're careful in timing, I suspect that cr- uh, crows are not going to, you know, immediately reinvade if you let down your guard every week. Right. Um, if, as Angie was saying, if you start early and after a couple years you start early and reinforce what you did the year before, um, it may well be that you can get the crows to say, okay, well, that's just not worth it. Um, and I think that raising people's knowledge base that these crows are not proliferating like crazy, I think that lead is part of it is their fear of the crows taking over in some sort of birds-like way. <laughs> um, so I think that combining, combining the... Uh, efforts to move them with some more knowledge of what these birds mean and why it might be actually interesting to have them, say, roosting along a nearby river um, mm-hmm. is, is a really important part of this. And we really have to live with a lot of things, and we're used to thinking of ourselves as separate. Yeah. So what are the, what are the positives to having a lot of crows <laughs> around? Are there any? I enjoy Angie? watching yeah. them. Um, oh, I, they're fabulous they pictures. Are. Yeah, they're beautiful oh animals, God. I think. Um, I like. I have horses, and they will be out in the pasture with the horses. And I just I enjoy watching their flight patterns. And mm-hmm. There's another huge positive that people forget about, which is um, they're thought of as agricultural pests. Mostly what you're doing in your cornfields, they may scrape up little corn while they're doing it, but they're eating insects, mm-hmm. injurious insects. And it was in the ni- early 1900s that Kalmbach demonstrated that they paid their way. Yeah, the, the crows uh, have a, a, you know, as so many other biological entities have a real place in our ecosystem. And so, uh, you know, they are helping to balance out uh, insect pests. They uh, actually are a matter of moving, uh, a way of moving nutrients around. Uh, and then, as we mentioned before, you know, it's, it's a, uh, an incredible natural phenomena to, to watch them do what they do. So I see some, some, some real benefits. Um, at the same time, um, people are going to be angry about this. Yeah. And uh, I think the, uh, the decision makers in our community need to be prepared for that. And to uh, I thought Ann's uh, point was good, and uh, it is is that there's going to be you know whether you're not doing anything they're going to be angry, and when you start doing things they're going to be angry. But the more that people know that that folks are trying to do something, uh, the less angry they will be. We're going to try to slide in a last question. We have uh, Robert who's on the phone. Robert, mm. whoops, oh. cut cut off Robert. Too bad. Sorry, Robert. 
Well, you know, and the other thing, just watching what I what I saw a little bit in Terre Haute with all the volunteers coming out and they have their crow <laughs> crow patrol uh, vests on, and uh, they talked about it as being a community event. People were getting together and they were actually enjoying getting together and working on a community project together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if you're seeing that starting to happen in Bloomington, or maybe that's what what it need, what, it, what needs to happen. I think that's where we're starting to put that crow patrol together, if the, you will. <laughs> and I can see uh, you know students that are interested in sustainability, yes. uh, environmental management. Uh, uh, they could be mobilized as well. All right. So I, I think uh, our producer had gotten a, a little bit out of Robert before we got him, before uh, we lost him on the phone. He said that he had seen some buzzards on South Walnut. Should we be concerned about about buzzards? Do we know anything about that? Mark? I don't think we need to be concerned about buzzards. Uh, I would say Although, that need need to make sure we look for bodies down there, but other <laughs> right, than that, right. sorry. Well, I think 25 buzzards do make a lot more mess than 25 oh. crows. Yes. Okay. And they do form roosts. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We'll be on. We'll be on the lookout for that <laughs> as well as too. those bodies. <laughs> All right. So we are. Uh, we're, we're rapidly uh, running out of time. We have less than a minute to go. Any last thoughts of any of you before we call it a show? Just learn as much as you can and yeah. keep engaged. That's the best thing. It's 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 everyone's problem and, right. and benefit. Yeah. Okay. And we'd love to know more about why crows ex- choose the exact sites. And I really would love to hear more about the exact dimensions and space use in the crow roost in, in Bloomington and Terre Haute and elsewhere. All right. That was uh, Ann Clark. Thank you, Ann, for joining us from Binghamton uh, University today. Uh, Angie Purdy. Thanks, thanks Angie. Good thank to see you. you. And Professor Mark Lane from Indiana University. Thank you for being here as well. For our new producer, J.D. Gray, and engineer Mike Pashkash, and also Joe Wren. Thanks, Joe. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.